0: Tuesday, July twenty third. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Pro and Options, Brian Hinman. Happy Tuesday, gents. Hello. Look back at you. Let me disavow uh, any of our dozens of listeners. Uh, oh. Any any thought they may have that we're actually going to talk about options today? Just because Brian Hinman's <laughs> ah. in the room, just because you know Jeff Fisher's in here from time time to time. We're not always talking. You can't out.
1: hold me down, Chris.
0: Um, you know what. <laughs> You know, maybe you will surprise me later, but uh, Earnings Palooza rolls on. Netflix, Wendy's, Radio Shack, yes, Radio Shack, and and beware, haters, because that that is a stock doing better than you think. Uh, But let's start with Netflix. Second quarter results uh, look pretty good on paper, Jason. Uh, Profits came in higher than expected. They added 630,000 subscribers in the U.S., and typically this is their weakest quarter for subscriber growth, so... It seemed like a pretty good quarter, but um, shares down. What did you, you, you make of it?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was. It's kind of like that wrong Gross. There was a little bit of something for everyone in yes. this report, <laughs> I think. You know, and, and that's and there was some good stuff and some bad stuff. I think the the six hundred thirty thousand or so net or the domestic subscribers that seemed a little bit light. I think there were some some uh, ideas out there for about uh, eight hundred thousand or so. I know Matty uh, was talking about that yesterday on Investor Beat. So. Yeah. I get. I guess that was what really stood out for me initially. was just because that's, I think, the first thing you have to really look at with Netflix is just are they adding subscribers? Because that's what it all really boils down to for them. But it's not like it was a bad quarter. I mean, six hundred thirty thousand, uh, a little bit over a million all, uh, overall. Um, I mean, it was a, it was a decent quarter. I think that um, you know the, the problem I run into with Netflix is an investment. I think it's a fascinating company to follow and to study and to learn from. But but it, it's got two strikes against it for me in that. You know, number one, there are no switching costs involved. I mean, people can just come and go as they please, and, and they don't they don't report that churn anymore. And churn for Netflix is a big deal uh, because there is no commitment. You can sign up and you can quit as you want. So I think it's always going to be a high-churn business. Uh, and then I, I just don't believe that they really have any pricing power as it stands now. Now, I think that the the ray of light there, sort of the glimmer of hope is with this with this original content that they are working on um I've had some questions on Twitter about the original content and how you can get House of Cards now on amazon for example and and I think it's important to note that that you know Netflix at this point they're making these little bets sort of on the original content in getting that first window, uh, but it doesn't mean that they own that content that content will be at other places. But I think that what this means is the more successful they are with these little bets as, as original content goes, the more, you know, they'll they'll sort of up their ante on those bets and, and become bigger owners of that content. So I think they're pursuing the right strategy. I think it's important that they continue to build out their international expansion. And that's essentially what domestic is funding. But at the end of the day, I mean, it, it's going to be one option of many that are out there. And, and so uh, that gives me pauses to how much growth this
1: company can really, you know, see over the long haul. Chris, Netflix is a tough one for me uh, because it doesn't seem like the stock trades based on the fundamentals of the business. Um, so it's not one of those where you can sort of just look at the press release, see how the business is doing and make some educated guess about, you know, where where the, the stock price might be headed. Um, it's a battleground stock. And so it has these wild swings. Uh, and it's just one that I choose to stay away from. But what I think is really impressive um, I was one who sort of pooed the original content strategy. Yeah, we're now just over a year into that, I would say, and the and Netflix is starting to be uh, nominated for some legitimate awards. Yeah. for their content production, yeah, nominated for so we, uh, mi- Emmy awards. We might, yeah, we might be at sort of a watershed moment here where Netflix is actually proving that it can play that 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 game play by those rules and that's really impressive given that they've only been at it for a year
0: it is and i think that uh, you know this is nothing that would necessarily make its way into an analyst conference call or or anything like that but when you if you if you ever listen to people who are in the entertainment business and in particular in the business of creating shows they are the ones who are now looking at Not just the HBOs of the world, but now Netflix as a very viable option. I think the, you know, the, uh, you know, a lot was made last week when the Emmy Award nominations came out and House of Cards got a bunch, and it was the first time ever that an internet only show got nominated for any Emmy Awards. And I remember talking with a friend of mine. He said, I really think this is overblown. I said, Actually, I think it's underblown. I think this is, again, because of the signal it sends to the entertainment community. I think now they're going to be looking even more to partner up because just in the way that HBO has this sterling reputation in the entertainment industry is like, oh, that's if you want to do a, if you want to do great work, you can go there. I think Netflix very quickly has arrived at maybe not exactly the same place as HBO, but I think it's getting damn close.
1: Yeah, very very quickly. I, I agree with that assessment. Um, but what is still really unknown to me is how all of this plays out financially right. for Netflix. Uh, we still just don't know we we are ha- getting proof now that Netflix is creating value in its in its content creation, but we don't know if they're going to be able to capture that value or if it's going to go all to the actors or, or where it's going to go.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that to that point, I mean, that that's, it's important for Netflix to do this original content. I mean, they're trying to build up sort of that library like HBO Go has now. I mean, you can go on there and you can pick out these seasons of just some great shows. And so Net- Netflix definitely needs to build up that arsenal. Uh, you know, the, it's I was watching the video last night that the video conference that they did in I mean, Hastings is very scared to talk about raising prices at all. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's for good reason because I mean, the last price raise really, you know, yeah, snaked sunk them. But I, I do think that at some point they are going to have to acknowledge the fact that they need to raise prices at some point or another uh, because creating that great content is going to cost a lot of money. And if they are going to up their game to become bigger owners of better content, they're going to have to do that. And so between the price-raising that will have to come into play – and, you know, I I am not necessarily – that big of a proponent of the releasing all of the episodes at once either. I mean, I think it's neat. Maybe some people like that. But, you know, then I I look at something like an HBO, for example, and I'm a subscriber to HBO. I don't subscribe to Netflix. One thing I I like about HBO, and and I know other people disagree with this, but but we talk about the newsroom, for example, week in and week out. Mm -hmm. The new season just started. I like being able to anticipate that. Yeah. I like being able to look forward to that. I'm not a binge watcher. I mean there are certain yeah. shows that are worthwhile for binge watching. I mean if it's an old season of something. But but I feel like, you know, Netflix is really selling themselves short here in a way because all of a sudden, you know, House of Cards was out, there was a week of buzz and now it's done. You know, Arrested Development was was even shorter. And so these these shows they release these whole seasons. There's a week of heavy buzz, and then it's just over. But HBO's done such a great job of stringing the life of these shows Game of Thrones yep. and Veep and in the newsroom and stuff like that. I, I think it would be something they should at least look at uh, as they grow.
0: I want to get to the stock in just a second, but first you mentioned the video conference call, and last week we had Yahoo doing. A video uh, quarterly conference call that was done almost like a, a, a newscast, but for anyone uh, who saw the Netflix call, this was done much more interview style. Julia Borston from cNbc uh, rich greenfield who 's an analyst with uh, BTIG research. Uh, they were uh, video conferencing with Hastings and some other executives, and they 're really getting a lot of praise today um, in part because it was not the typical analyst conference call where they start <laughs> off with the formal reading. You know, in a lot of cases, they're just reading off of the press release. And it was like, no, forget the press release. Let's just get right to the Q&A. I'm wondering, I mean, I know-, I know we don't have a lot to go on here, but do you think that more companies are going to follow suit here? Or do you think that for the majority of companies, they're like, no, 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 we're just going with the, the tried and true conference call?
1: So you're going to get me going off on a tangent here. So I'll try and keep it short. <laughs> I'll try and really, um, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, no. laughs> uh, I do think that this is a trend that is going to pick up. Um, you are, you are starting to see companies care about m- all of their st- their stakeholders in more equal parts. Um, and I definitely believe this is happening. Now, the reason that I said you're going to get me going on a tangent is because we own a company that enables this. We own a company that uh, allows uh, management teams uh, and companies to speak to their shareholders more directly. Yep. Um and in that vein of transparency, you know their business is starting to pick up, and they're creating some pretty impressive tools. The name of that company is Broadridge Financial Solutions. Okay. Incredibly boring company to follow, but they have these grand visions for what shareholder communication is going to look like in 10 or 15 years.
2: Yeah, I think – so Yahoo's was very, very uh – well-produced. I don't know if you saw that. It was, it was like a newscast. I saw some almost. clips of it, yeah. The, the Netflix one was was the other end of the spectrum. I mean, this was like guys just at their laptops with webcams, and it was like cutting off half their face on the YouTube right. screen. So, I mean, it, it was different. I I mean, it was it was neat I to saw, be able to make that emotional I connection. Sh- I yeah, saw one
0: report that apparently Reed Hastings, just as the call went on, was slouching more and more. Yeah, <laughs> so to yeah, the yeah I mean, he was almost out of the frame. The
2: questions just didn't stop, and you could see, it, it, that, that's got to be sort of something that wears on you quarter after quarter. Um, but yeah, I think, like Brian said, I mean, they they, It just adds to the transparency factor. I mean, if they, I think if they want to do it, that's great. It doesn't really change my mind one way or another about it. You know, when I hear Hastings closed out the call here saying that fundamentally they are in the membership happiness business, and, and that those are the things that matter to me. When I hear something like that, I feel like, all right, this is what he really cares about. Yeah. And then I think, you know, shareholders should be very aware of that. Certainly Netflix customers should be very aware of that. And when you hear CEOs say things like that, make sure that their actions are backing that up. And I think theirs do. Um, And and I I think as long as they stay along that philosophy there, they ought to do pretty
0: well. Heading into today, shares up 185% year to date. Is this a stock that just from your perspective has gotten a little too frothy?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I thought it was cheap. I mean, it's not cheap. I I think that Netflix is a stock I've never owned. I, I just never will because I just there are too many things about the business that, that raise too many questions for me. I think any time you you have a year like they've had – they, they were a little bit of a victim of their own success, I think, with this with this release. The stock has gotten a little bit ahead of itself, but but I think that overall, it's still a well-run company with, it, with a good offering, and it should probably uh, continue to grow uh, over the course of time. But I imagine we'll see a better entry point at some point in the, in the near future.
0: Shares of Wendy's up 13% this morning. Second quarter profits came in higher than expected. They raised their quarterly dividend. Uh, Brian, I almost said they, they raised it 25%, which is technically accurate. <laughs> they raised it from a penny. <laughs> $0.04 cents to $0.05 cents per quarter, but uh, uh, it seems like a good quarter.
1: Yeah, not bad. Uh, sales were up modestly um, on the back of U.S.-owned same-store store, sales of 0.4% and franchise stores of uh, increase of 0.3%. Restaurant margins improve, so they're doing a better job controlling costs, which had gotten a little bit out of hand for them. Uh, and they also announced that they're selling 425 of their company-owned stores uh, to franchisees, or they hope to anyway, yeah, over the next year. And what that's going to do is it's going to bring their mix of owned to franchised um, down from about 80 20 to 75 uh, uh, excuse me, 8515. So uh, it's getting it more in line with a higher franchise model, which is just a better financial model. You okay. can make more profits that way. We have to pan out a little bit here with Wendy's and realize what's going on. The company is in the midst of a turnaround, a major rebranding effort um, where it, it, they launched a new logo. They have introduced premium, uh, and quality menu items. Uh, and they're engaging in this massive store remodel, um, facelift. And the, the results of that are pretty good so far. The problem is, uh, they haven't gotten very far down that path yet. So it's starting to show in the numbers, but it's not having, uh, really the significant impact. And if you look at the stock, it's been on a tear, so it sure seems like investors believe that Wendy's is going to be able to pull off this rebranding where they're positioning themselves sort of more in competition with Panera and Chipotle and less in competition with McDonald's.
0: Is that, uh, you mentioned the difference between the comps with respect to the company owned locations and the franchise locations. Is that sort of standard across the industry that, as a general rule of thumb, Company owned locations uh, of a restaurant are going to do slightly better in same store sales than franchise?
1: You know, I don't know if there's a, 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 if I can paint with a broad brush, but I can say sort of anecdotally, I feel like that is the case. The company owned stores typically have a little higher same store sales growth than the franchise locations, but I honestly don't know exactly why that is. Okay.
2: Yeah. I, can, I mean, I can speak a little bit of that just because we have a couple of restaurants in the EP, and so Buffalo Wild Wings, which is one that does a lot of franchising, um, and, and that's something I think we, we pay attention to on a quarter-in, quarter-out basis. There is a notable difference. Company-owned stores tend to do better. And I think the basic idea is that they're company-owned stores, that they own them. They have a little bit more control over them, and then they uh, are able to to follow them maybe a little bit more closely. But, but uh, I think that's one of the red flags investors ought to pay attention to is over time. If you're seeing a big disparity there right. and, and franchised comps are, are trailing significantly in that, and that gap is, is widening, uh, then you have to start questioning, you know, is, is the company losing control over, their, over those franchise stores? I mean, that's one of the big risks with the franchise model.
0: Uh, Brian, you mentioned the timeline for the remodeling, the rebranding, that sort of thing. Did they give any indication of – I know it's always hard to predict, particularly when you're talking about any kind of remodeling, renovating of locations, that sort of thing. But did they give a rough timeline in terms of when they expect that to play? Yeah,
1: they said they hope to have uh, about 50% of company-owned stores and 20% of all stores uh, remodeled by the end of 2015 so it 's going to start picking up, but it 's important for investors to realize that that sort of, that, that sort of in, uh, remodeling and investment doesn 't come cheap right. um, they 're spending I think about two hundred and forty five or two hundred and fifty million dollars remodeling stores this year company owned stores, and that 's more than they 've generated in cash flow any of the past three years, so they 're basically you know having to pull out of the bank uh, cash and, and making themselves a little financially weaker. To fund this growth, they've also um, are trying to push more of the growth onto f- the franchisees as well. They're, they've put in place an, an incentive system for the franchisees to foot the bill uh, to do this, but you know they don't have to. So right. pretty soon we could be in the we could be in the position where uh, Wendy's corporate-owned stores have done their part and look new and spiffy and nice and are living the new image, but the you know predominance of their restaurants, the franchise. Uh, restaurants are still sort of the dingy, you know, yellow and red places no one wants to go.
0: Uh, Shares hitting a new 52-week high this morning, do you think that's fairly valued? Do you think the stock still has room to run?
1: So I think the stock has room to run uh, still, um, simply because uh, they're really small, and uh, they're priced about the same as some of their competitors. So uh, I do think that the franchise model is a good one for them long term. And so when you consider that they only have 6,500 or so restaurants, and McDonald's has 34,000, uh, they can get a lot bigger. The, the runway ahead of them is huge if they can um, control costs like they've been doing and fall in line with where they're, they're trying to position themselves regarding their branding efforts.
0: Stop me if you've heard this one before. Uh, Radio Shack's quarterly loss was wider than expected. Um, and in the wake of uh, the Q2 loss, uh, the CFO is I've leaving. I've heard that before. <laughs> I can name that troubled retailer in four notes. Uh, and the CFO is leaving, which is. Hardly ever uh, a positive. We don't no. know that there's like anything. It's not necessarily a red flag, but it's, it, it's hard for me to imagine a time when it's great news that the CFO <sighs> they just is got a yellow. They just Maybe got a, a, a new CEO, flag. too. Yeah. So they're shaking it up. And yet, year to date, shares yeah. up somewhere in the neighborhood of 40%, running well ahead of the market. But first, in terms of the, the stock, this was, we talked about this a little bit yesterday on Investor Beat. You, uh, you think the long, slow train wreck that is radio shock is just continuing down the track
2: yeah i mean you know i give them credit for trying to turn this around i mean they have this five pillar turnaround strategy which i think is great i think really if they want to key in on this five pillar strategy they need to get someone in there who's really charismatic to to get that across like bill clinton i guess that that's like one of the most charismatic guys in the history of anything he'd be like "Oh, we've got five pillars that are going to turn this boat around i think people would listen Uh, But when you look at the five pillars, I mean, a lot of those five pillars really are kind of the what and not really the how. And that's kind of when I look at these turnaround plans, you know, turnarounds don't really all that often turn around. It seems like the turnaround plan that they have is more of the what and not the how. I mean, they're still faced with this uh, just stagnating top line to go with just deteriorating margins across the board. And um, when you look at their sales numbers compared to your competitors out there like Best Buy and Target and Walmart that are selling, you know, 10 times or more what Radio Shack is selling. And it's just – it's basic stuff, you know. There's nothing that really differentiates. And I think that's where they're really going to run into trouble. And and when you see in a release, you know, they start referring, <laughs> they start referring to their balance sheet and financial flexibility – and they, return, they refer to it as total liquidity. Total liquidity. <laughs> and I'm like, well, total liquidity. You never hear that. When you hear that, you need to be concerned. Because normally, <laughs> it's like we have X amount of dollars in cash and short-term investments on the balance right. sheet. No. Radio Shack is like we have 800 million dollars in total
1: liquidity that's like that's like including you know begging grandma for 250 bucks right
2: and maybe you're going to get a penny on the dollar for that just obsolete inventory on your balance sheet I that's, mean it's it's just it's not a good situation I, I would not advise investors to get in the middle of it it's not to say that they can't pull it off they' they're very there very well may be something there uh, but I am not going to stick around to find out
1: Chris, a couple of weeks ago Radio Shack put out a press release. Uh, talking about its balance sheet, they put it out saying, "No, no, no, guys, don't think we're going bankrupt. We have 800 million total liquidity. Don't worry. I've never seen a company do that. Respond to sort of the market grumblings about, you know, a weak balance sheet. Basically saying, no, 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 we got this. 800 million total liquidity.
0: Don't worry. Things must be bad if they're putting out that. First of all, if they're putting out that press release at all, but you know. if they're putting it out two weeks before earnings." <laughs> that really the smack of
1: desperation yeah well they are desperate uh so the cfo leaving i think i don't think that's a bad thing um like i mentioned they have this new ceo joe magnaca i believe is his name is he's already brought in a couple of other executives one uh responsible i think for branding one responsible for the in-store experience so he's trying he's trying and uh I, i'm guessing that behind the scenes there is uh you know a sort of Buy in or leave sort of mentality. Yeah, uh, because he he needs a rallying cry and he needs the full support of his troops because this is not an easy turnaround here. So I'm not surprised that the CFO and It's is, worth noting, so. too,
2: that the, the interim CFO here is one of the managing directors of the turnaround firm that they just hired to try to help turn this boat around. So I, I think that you're going to see uh, this uh, uh, Avaxis or Avaxis, whatever the, the turnaround firms are. They're going to be calling, I think, a lot of these shots.
0: You know, in terms of the in-store experience, I will say that the the Best Buy that is a couple of miles away from Full HQ, I was pleasantly surprised when they – Revamped the entire inside of that location, and it was just, it was just much, it was just so much better. And I just remember thinking the first time I walked in there, oh, if they can pull this off across the country, then maybe they do have a shot. So I, I you know, like you guys, I wouldn't necessarily bet against a turnaround, particularly when it comes to things like in-store experience. But wow, they got a lot. Yeah, <laughs> the, the trouble, long-
1: the trouble is, J- and Jason alluded to this. The strategy is not clearly articulated yet at this point. And we sort of have two things to go on, it seems like. The first is Magnaca said, look, we're going to make the in-store experience better. The traditional Radio Shack model was to ignore all customers that weren't looking at a cell phone. And if you were looking at a cell phone, sick eight or ten sales associates on you uh, and try and make the sale. And, th- and that, that model was clearly busted, uh, and, and people stopped coming into the store because yeah. of it. So he has basically said, look, we're going to treat all the customers equally. We're not just a cell phone store. We need to you know, be a place that people want to come. And the other thing that they've done uh, that's sort of showing how their strategy is going to develop is they've signed some partnerships to put uh, Radio Shack fronts in school bookstores, and they're going to try and sell merchandise there. Now, I'm not going to make any assertion whether or not I think that's a good idea. Um, I'm skeptical, but that's what we have to go on with the strategy so far, and uh, honestly, that, that, that doesn't give me
0: much confidence. We will end there. Brian Hinman, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Rick Engdahl. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.